So this episode of Talking Health Tech was recorded at our last virtual summit for the year in 2022, our Talking Health Tech Spring Summit. And this was session one on the day, supported by our gold sponsors, Best Practice. And it was a discussion around interoperability and the importance of that. And I loved it to kick off the day because we had perspectives from the vendor side, clinician, standards and governance, and the patient side as well. So our summits, we hold them every quarter for our THT Plus members, and you can also purchase a ticket to attend them as well. But our THT Plus community attend these summits every three months. It's a great way to come together. We're keeping them virtual because everyone's then on the same page and can access them regardless on where they're located, either in Australia or across the world. But also great as well for the clinicians to speak in between sessions or those with other accessibility issues, which means they wouldn't otherwise attend a full day in-person event and we'd miss out on those valuable perspectives. So each speaker will be introduced at the start and I hope you enjoy this one. Now, as you're listening on the podcast, you can't see what's going on, but when you get a chance after listening to this one, jump onto our YouTube channel and you can see all the speakers. It's a live virtual event with video, and that's a great way to see the comments that come up in the chat because we bring them up on the screen, and there are some comments that the speakers mention throughout the session because what's great about our summits is attendees will influence how the discussion goes by contributing in the chat. But also at the start, there's some fancy graphs and stats that we pull. It's worth having a look. So jump on to our YouTube channel. The link is in the show notes of this episode. Here we go. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. When it comes to crafting the ideal patient experience, interoperability underpins the entire foundation. But is data interoperability a realistic and achievable goal or a pipe dream with too many hurdles to see practical adoption? This is session one of the Talking Health Tech Spring Summit titled Interoperability, Feasible Goal or Holy Grail? Featuring Danielle Bancroft, Chief Product Officer at Best Practice Software. Kate Eberl, Business Development Manager and Product Manager at CSIRO. Dr. Alex Duong, Deputy Chief Medical Information Officer at Monash Health. And representing from a consumer perspective, Dr. Brent Barker. Prior to this session, we ran a poll and asked the health tech community, when will we see healthcare systems truly be interoperable and enhance usable and valuable data? A third of respondents think it's going to be in the next five years. Nearly just as many thought it's going to be more like 10 years. 21% of people think it's just around the corner. And 15% think it's already here. Let's go to the panel and explore it further. Danielle Bancroft is going to be moderating this discussion today. I love that we've got such good representation across different subsets. Danielle's going to take over and looking forward to the conversation. Thanks so much. Thanks, Peter. We're here to talk about interoperability today, and I sometimes feel like that's the hot burning topic. You hear it everywhere, you see it everywhere you look. But I guess it's interesting. Interoperability is a word that's being used with increasing frequency. The reality is we have the technology to make it happen. There's, there's no reason why the technology can't support it. 
So the question I have is why have we failed to achieve that coveted goal so far? We know it's important to the future of patient-centered care. We know it underpins the full framework. But what does the ideal experience actually look like for patients and for clinicians? What are we actually trying to achieve? Brent, you recently found yourself in the midst of a pandemic supporting your mother through a complex health journey of her own, as well as now supporting your father independently living at home and needing care. Thinking about the complexities that you've experienced over the last few years, what changes could be made to help you? Good question, because I, I agree that the technology exists to uh, for optimising interoperability, but even if the information's delivered, it still requires someone to take the time, interpret the information and, and apply that. I think what would have helped my situation is um, even though I've got a clinical background, you, you really, when you're stepping up as the carer, you need some support, like you really need a case manager or a coach or some sort of liaison person or, or advocate to um, support the family and help with coordinating services or ensuring that patient information is linked and to identify what resources are available, I guess. And resources is a big, big issue as well of different component providers. So, you know, we're all operating in a under-resourced setting a lot of the time. So would you say part of it, I guess, then from what you're saying is it's not just about having someone there to help you navigate all the data that's being made available, but knowing what sources are available and where to get those resources? Yeah, yeah. And there's, uh, I certainly wasn't aware, but even my um, parents, primary health providers, they, they weren't, you know, certain of all the potential resources. So, so I think they just need some sort of better sharing of the information or coordination of services. So maybe with some more transparency within uh, the community and understanding of how different providers sort of can link in to minimize a repetition or it's a really good point no no I, I think what you're trying to say i mean it's a really good point the reality is if we start adding more and more digital services and even if your actual care or clinician doesn't know they exist how are you as a patient supposed to know that they exist or have access to them so the the transparency of the data the data is only as good as it is used, correct? So if I have data in front of me, that's great. But if I don't know the services are there, it makes it a lot harder to navigate. I think you touched on a really good point, having someone to sort of assist or, you know, that digital advocate that helps the, the patient sort of navigate some of those resources really does help as part of that situation. I might touch on then, I think, Alex, this is a really great one for you. As both a clinician and a technologist, uh, you're quite experienced across, I guess, both areas of that aspect. For you, with that unique insight, is having interoperable systems and more data a high priority to you? And I guess second to that, touching on Brent's point, what do you see as the ideal user experience, but also how those those resources? Are you aware of what's available? Do you, do you think clinicians know what's there and, and have the ability to support their patients? Thanks, Daniel. Um, yeah, Brent raises a great point. So just having the data, there is some data available right now, but again, patients often don't know and not all clinicians know either. The key point about interoperability, that will allow our systems to talk, but still we want the data to be accessible by everyone, the patient, the clinician. And it still, it still doesn't surprise me today when I see a patient in the emergency where they expect that um, their data that they have 
at the GP or with their specialist is available to their other clinicians. So, you know, on a Friday evening when a patient presents to the ED and I ask them why they're here and they say, oh, they had a test with the GP or whatever, and I ask them, do they have the details? They expect that I would have those results, which I can understand why they would. And they don't realize that our systems don't talk. Even hospitals that are using the same technology also don't talk. So patients, I think, don't realize that we don't share their data. And when they turn up on a Friday evening at midnight and they tell me they had a blood test that morning and they ex expect me to have the result, it's really difficult not having that data. And what often happens is we'll just repeat the test, which is not ideal. So there's two parts to your question, I think. Intraoperable data would be the ideal gold standard. As a clinician, I'd like to have all my patients data available in one source. As a hospital practitioner, that would be in our electronic medical record. Just having to look in one place and having the data available would make my life as a clinician much easier. Even as it stands today, for patients who had tests or appointments in my network, I have to look into three or four different systems, which means I have to log into three or different programs. And in a time poor situation, some clinicians, A, don't know how or don't know it's there. So the ideal situation would be having all the relevant patients data in one place that's all up to date and accurate and easily accessible, but still secure. If you've been kicking around this industry a bit like me, or maybe even you're brand new to digital health, you've probably worked out that health tech is not an individual sport. Whatever you're trying to achieve, whether you're delivering healthcare for patients, or you're building health technology, or perhaps you're helping deploy solutions across health systems, you need a tribe, a community of like-minded individuals who just get it that if we're going to transform healthcare, then technology is going to play a huge part in it. So to learn and connect about health tech and level up your game, consider joining our THT Plus membership community. We've got options for every stage of growth, whether you're a solo individual or a startup or scale-up company. As an individual, you get access to our exclusive community forum, you get a warm intro to two other members from me each month, you get free access to our quarterly virtual summits and a bunch of other exclusive goodies. Companies can bring team members into the community, plus you get a presence on our website as a THT Plus member, you can post content like news events and jobs, and of course we love to showcase our members, so when you join as a company THT Plus member, you'll get to appear on this podcast with your very own episode. This podcast is made possible through the support of our members. It's literally the heart of everything we do. So consider joining as a THT Plus member. You can join anytime online. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT Plus. It's a, it's a really interesting point, I guess. My own experience as a clinician, I worked in a pharmacy. The, the owner actually owned two pharmacies less than a kilometer apart. And we'd regularly have patients come in and their first kind of question is, I got something last week. Can't you see that at, at the other pharmacy? And the reality is patients don't care what goes on behind the scenes. They expect that you have access to their patient data so you can provide them that clinical care. So it's a really great point. There is no reason today. I guess it's, it comes back to consumer expectation. When we go into a bank and we use a different ATM from a different bank, we can still pull money out. If we go in and we actually buy a ticket, you can even see now if it's a mixed, if it's both Virgin and Qantas, you can see both of those in your Qantas app for your one flight. So it becomes that expectation of if you as a consumer can see this in banking and in every other sector in everyday life, you just assume that that's going to be the same for your health data. I think it's a really interesting point as well as a clinician. 
that age-old conundrum of you want to use all of the tools available to you to support your actual clinical work. But you touched on a great point. If I have to have 10 different applications to go find the different data that I'm utilizing for my patient, that's quite time-consuming and also risks somewhat some quality in, in the actual access as you go and you might miss some piece of data. So having that back in one system really effectively helps. Um, it's a good one, I guess, Kate, as a terminologist, that's an area that you're particularly keen on supporting, I guess, from how do you best support data transfer? Because, you know, not all systems speak the same language. We can often get things lost in translation. How do we support that as an underlying infrastructure or framework piece? Yeah, really important, Danielle. And I think part of it is we all need to speak the same language and that speak the same language so we know what kind of information we're exchanging between systems and then what's that kind of vocabulary or terminology or language that's used underneath that information so that can transfer between systems. Um, I've seen some really um, kind of valuable comments pass up on the chat um, as you've all been talking and, and just to touch on, on Brent's point as well um, from that consumer experience. I think a lot of what we've done in digital is we've gone, this is what we did in the paper world and we just make it digital and we don't actually think about the new models of care, the new pathways how we can actually think about what that experience looks like in the future and then how, if we can share the data, we can actually enable those new models of care, enable those new pathways. So I think um, everyone knows that I'm a standards geek, love standards, can't get enough of them, but standards are not useful unless they're fit for purpose. They're supporting the workflows that we need. We've actually got everyone built on board with what they are. And for me, standards and particularly interoperability standards and standards around data is actually about enabling the clinician to do the right thing and to do the right thing being the easiest thing, not make it harder and harder work for terminology and harder work to actually have structured data. So I think I'm a believer that um, interoperability is feasible. I'm going after it hard um, and want to support us all to get there. But part of that is actually thinking, what is that vision? Where do we need to be? What is that roadmap and how we actually get progressively there? And how do we actually start to think about those new workflows? How do we bring the consumers in and the clinicians into that journey and make sure that what we're doing in this standard space for interoperability is not just this holy grail goal of, of shipping data around, but we're actually shipping that around to improve health outcomes, improve consumer experience and make it easier for clinicians to do their job. As a concept, I guess you've touched on a great point there with the roadmap comment. So you know, if we're not clear about what is the actual pathways or use case or experience that we're actually trying to build towards, then we need to firm that up first. Because, you know, as a, a, as a product person in development, if you're not clear on your end goal, how can you break that up and actually start to work towards it? So I guess if we can be clear about what those use cases are, and we can be very clear about the different ways that we need to get there in terms of what blocks we need to put in place and build to make that goal, um, that forms up a really great roadmap that we as industry can follow. So it's really about understanding in depth those patient experience, I guess, is what you're saying in terms of what do we need to actually provide or what is it that we're trying to build together? Yeah, absolutely. What are we trying to get to? How are we trying to improve that consumer experience? How do we then need to support the clinicians, the workforce, the practices, the healthcare organisations with the right tools and services to enable them to do that? And therefore, what's that underlying enabling infrastructure to put that in place and there's the technology is there the standards are well on their way having been in this digital health game now for 20 years 
we are closer than ever with having all of the right kind of building blocks. But how do we actually put those together in the right way and go with a sensible path forward to make that happen? And it comes back to what do we absolutely want to achieve? What is that outcome that we're trying to make sure for consumers that they have the information in their hands in the right possible way and their carers to support their healthcare? And, you know, we need to think not just about the technical standards and interoperability as a technical problem, but, you know, it's, it's actually around policy and regulation and business models and workflow and interactions and all of these things that need to come together. And those interoperability standards are just an enabler that needs to sit in that entire kind of framework that we need to put together to make this happen. So I'm going to circle back to Brent because what you touched on there was, again, I think we, we often hear focused on the clinician in practice settings when we talk about interoperability. And I think Brent's really touched on an important part, which is, you know, the carer in this. How do we provide interoperability and data and resource, not just to the patient themselves, but the family and the carer around those patients to help support them? So I guess, Brent, in your experience, it's not just about your parents. It's actually about you supporting them as well. Yes. Like I think that idea of a case manager, that's what the expectation is. The family member does that, but sometimes it's hard to step up when you're performing the primary carer role as well. And the whole system, we rely heavily on the patient to be an important source of information, but all too often by definition, they're unwell or distressed and not necessarily the best person to, um, to pass on their uh, clinical history. And I think if somehow the patient had a window on their electronic health record that they could act as a check and keep up to date and, um, you know, without commandeering the information, that, that would help a long way to improving their understanding of, of the issues perhaps, but also being aware of, um, well, hopefully having a better understanding of what's, what's important and what's not. Because the, from the patient carer's perspective, that can be quite different from the clinician's perspective. I'm, I'm going to touch on, there's a question that I've noticed in the comments, are patients concerned about privacy? I think this is a great one for Alex. In your experience, you know, that sharing, uh, the sharing of patient data often comes up, particularly in today's climate and with the recent issues that have been appearing in the, in the media, I guess there's two sides of that coin. We really need the data to be shared to provide better, better patient care and have a better understanding of the full picture of the patient. On the flip side of that, more data sharing equals more data available for, you know, misuse. What's your experience around privacy and the patient? Uh, great point, Danielle. So um, when I see patients, and my health record is a classic example of this, a lot of people have opted to not have a my health record and not share because of their general concerns of privacy. But I don't think they realize that that means that their treating clinicians don't have access to their data. So um, with the my health record as it stands today, it is embedded into the EMI at Monash Way work. And when patients do have that, say about 30% of the patients I see, I can see the blood test that they had yesterday or the um, CT scan that they had last week. And it's amazing. And while it's not the fully integrated interoperable system we're hoping for, I can just, I can see the result and that makes a profound difference. The patients that I've spoken to who have opted to not have the My Health record, I don't think they realized like, cause they, they'll either, when I asked them about it, they either didn't know they had, they opted out or some of them have chosen a password to protect their data, but they don't even know what the password is. And they were more than happy to share my, their data at that point in time when they needed it to be shared. So I don't think the patient understands 
So I think they, they do want their data to be shared by their clinicians, but they don't want people who shouldn't have access to their data to have it. And, um, I think they feel that something like my, my health record for something isn't regulated enough to be just shared with their treating clinicians. And I think other people may have access to it, which I think is part of the problem. But right from a clinician point of view, I've never had a patient who didn't want me to have access to their data. Well, it's, it's a really good point, I guess. It comes back again to the same point Brent was making earlier. It really comes down to education, not just of the patient, but of the clinician. If you're not well informed on what you're consenting to, then obviously you will be erring on the side of caution. So how do we provide more education? I guess, you know, as clinicians, you're already busy actually performing the patient care. So how do we get that education and spread that information more broadly so patients understand really what it is they're consenting to and what data is being shared in what way and how? It's it's caught, kind of links back to how do we empower patients to be more aware of what it is that they're actually signing up to? I guess it's also who gives them the message. I think when the message yeah. comes from government, they're less believing, whereas if it came from their, say, their GP, because whenever I've told a patient, they were more than happy, but it was too late at that point in time. Yeah. Um, maybe that would be a role for the GP or, or a trusted clinician of the patient because giving the patients access and control to their data, I think is probably going to be key to this. Absolutely. You know, you're empowered to not only hold your own data, but as you said, your clinician is your trusted person that you go to. So you're more likely to actually take that on board. If a clinician says to you, this is what I'm using the data for, and this is how I need to utilize it. It makes more sense in context while you're actually in that clinician patient situation. There is a really great question I want to throw to Kate. There was the question that Burns actually put up, but also a staunch advocate of interoperability around how the tech sector can actually cooperate to design and develop better solutions together, really putting that patient at the center and making sure there's benefit. I think one of the the really great ways to do that, and um, I do sit on the board of HL7A Youth, or we'll actually talk about how industry um, can really get together around supporting the development of these standards and ensure that they're fit for purpose and ensure that we're developing them against the right use cases. So one of the fabulous things about FIRE, so Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resource, probably been mentioned many times um, on the Talking Health Tech sessions. But, you know, that's a standard that came, actually Graham Grieve down in Melbourne kicked that off and, and is now quite globally used and in particular in the US. Now, one of the things about FIRE is, sure, it's a great technical standard, but what's driven it is the community approach. So heavy involvement from industry and healthcare organisations coming together to actually start to look at those use cases and develop it. And so one of the best ways is to get involved, is ensure that we've got really strong clinician, consumer, industry co-design in these specifications. Use those community processes to actually start to ensure that we are developing those systems that join up. Take that use case approach, take that roadmap of where we want to get to, but ensure that we actually come together to work on these specifications. Nothing better than getting all the industry in the room together with clinicians and consumers and actually thrashing that out and coming up with something that makes that makes sense for all. So I encourage, you know, anyone who isn't aware of, of kind of FIRE, isn't aware of HL7, get in touch. You know, I know Daniel's been actively involved in these processes, um, has, a, has other industry as well. And that's one way that we can actually work together um, as a community to start to develop some of these solutions in an interoperable way. 
Would you also say then that if you're doing that as individual use cases, then it's not necessarily about having every piece of data at a single point every time, right? So is it really a case of being able to adequately identify what data is most important and being able to present that at those key critical times around those use cases? hundred percent. And, you know, for me, I always go um, the 80-20 rule. I always go, don't let the perfect be the enemy of good. Um, we can end up going round and round in circles, boiling the ocean for a very long time um, and, and not get anywhere. So, you know, we've been doing a piece of work with the primary care software industry, the clinicians and coming up with what's that most important data. It's not data for data's sake. It's not every piece of data. But what is that information that is most important from a clinical safety use case? It's most important for that clinician to hand over and is most important for that individual. And I think sometimes we do get caught up in saying, well, we need all the data and we need it all now. But no, we don't. What do we need? Why do we need it? Because then you can actually have a very informed conversation with the consumer as well. Data sovereignty being kind of an absolute core principle. Why is my information being used? Who is it being shared with? For what purpose? So if we start talking about what's that information being needed for that purpose, then I think we can have a much more privacy positive focused conversation. I think we can support consumers around their privacy concerns. And we're also not trying to overload the clinicians to say, we need all the data and we need it all in this way. It's what's that most important information. So I think that that really covers off today, you know, the perspective in terms of what we wanted to discuss. If I had to summarize what I'm hearing is the key pieces around Brent's points really are that we should look be looking at you know, having that dedicated educator or digital advocate for patients and carers to be able to inform them around what tools are available today and how they can actually access some resources. In terms of Alex's point, I think it's really important, you know, when you're on the floor, it's not so much about what systems are interoperable. It's the information you need to be available when you need it and really being able to understand the patient as quickly as possible so you can provide that care. But also, I think it's really important to understand that throwing more actual tools and systems and having to go to 15 different applications, that's not ideal either. So really being able to provide the data in a single unified experience really helps that clinician. And as Kate has really well highlighted, let's all figure out what is the end goal that we're trying to work towards and then work a roadmap towards it. Excellent. So thank you all for joining me today. It's been really great. And I really hope that we can figure out how we provide interoperability. Well, look, I mean, in the chat, you know, it continues to stream through and there's some great comments and questions that people have raised. And I encourage the speakers that are on stage here to jump back in as attendees and perhaps respond to some of these questions and continue those conversations in the chat. Cause it's always great to see you know, people from different perspectives and uh, different thoughts to, to be shared on this really important topic. So Kate, Brent, Danielle, Alex, I really appreciate you making the time and kicking us off. It's always hard being the first session and uh, we're on fire, on fire, FHI. Oh, oh, there you go. Graham would be very proud, Pete. I'm not, I'm sure it's not the first time that someone's used that joke, but that's amazing. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Before you go, just a reminder to jump over to our YouTube channel and subscribe and watch some episodes there. There are podcast episodes, summit sessions, and a bunch of other interesting content on our channel. You can just search Talking Health Tech in the YouTube app or click on the link in the show notes of your podcast player, and it should just take you straight there. Thank you. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.